Two Bards, One Throne. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Bards, One Throne. I'm Corbin Slack. And I'm Sean Britton. Welcome to the podcast that brings news, casual conversation, and mindless ramblings together. Today we're going to be talking about a few different things, a few serious and a few not. And of course, you know, there's been a lot that's happened. Uh, what day is it? It's uh, Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Yes. Wednesday the 6th. A lot has happened uh, that we're not going to be discussing with things still kind of being up in the air. Uh, but actually, the creation of this episode has already been has already been a a mission. Uh, <laughs> partly my fault. Uh, I'll admit, you know, sometimes things just get to me and I can't stop laughing. But yeah, I think I think we made it. You know, we're here now. It's a we're start. We're definitely of recording. We're definitely yes. we exist. That's that's part of the that's half Shame. the battle. Existence right. is half the battle. <laughs> Alright, so today uh, I kind of wanted to talk about a few unimportant things uh, before we kind of get to the, the more primary topic here uh, because I, I kind of have a lot to say about it uh, and I don't really know where it's going to go. So I was wondering uh, if you had any unimportant news to share that, that I can kind of have to start us off. Well, uh, lucky for you, I watched a uh, I watched a new movie this 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 week. Um, I finally got around to watching um, Sherlock Holmes: The Game of Shadows. It's the 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 Robert Down one of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. I'm not sure if there's more than one. I really don't know. This is something that yeah, I was. Is. is there more than one? And then yeah. I, then I probably watched the second one first, which is just prime heresy. But um. <clears throat> There, that 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 movie, uh, a lot of people that I've talked to talk a lot of shit about that movie, and I don't see why. Like I thoroughly enjoyed it. It it was the pacing was nice, the 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 way that the action was shot was really really entertaining. Like you could tell that a lot of work went into the fight choreo. It was really clean. It was polished. Um, it used. Um, focus cam really really well during the action scenes like where uh you make the camera focus on one point of the action and just track that uh so like if you focus on someone's head while they're running the head is constantly in the center of the frame and everything else moves around it uh that was used to uh to great effect but i think my personal favorite thing about that movie was uh how historically accurate a lot of it was like they didn't just throw in like like a lot of films uh will like take the general time period that it takes place in and just throw like a bunch of like general wishy-washy stuff in there but there was like year accurate weapons being used a bunch of geeky shit like that uh phosphorus being readily available and being used as an incendiary weapon because at that point it wasn't considered that's how you say illegal to use in combat. Like, no, I can't talk about that on the podcast. I can't talk about white phosphorus on the podcast. I said, That's uh. not. Mm -mm, we're not going down that rabbit hole. But um, either way, um, I guess the 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 TLDR of this was that 
This is yet another movie that I watched for the first time and went into it with the predisposition of all the people that talk shit about it and, like, really don't like it and being wholly surprised by it not being bad and actually enjoying it. And, like, on the on that subject, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Sherlock is pitch perfect. Like, if, if we're talking about representing the Sherlock that's in the books, ooh, that was nice. That was that was a very very faithful performance to the source material, which always makes me happy. I like it when the source material is uh, listened to and taken into account in filmmaking. It, it makes my makes my soul warm. Of course, yeah, it it makes everybody's soul warm. I bet. Uh, I if know. if not, I don't I don't think I can associate with you. Wow. You're just a little. A little you sus. know that actually kind of links into our topic today about finding and making and keeping friends <laughs> and relationships in the digital age and how that compares and differs from say our parents generation or our grandparents uh, you know life <laughs> well, finds yeah, a way it. that's it <laughs> uh, no life is is weird and truthfully everybody struggles with it and everybody goes through good things and bad things uh, and, and I truly believe that your mindset can help you through a lot and it can push you to you know, new heights but there are times uh, when life kind of it would put anybody you know on their knees and uh, you have no choice but to grunt and bear it uh, and that's okay but when things like that happen, um, you know, it can be hard to, to lean on and trust certain people. So uh, what is it like to, you know, go to, say, a new city or something, and maybe you're not doing so well, and maybe your money situation isn't so tight? You know, how do you gain trust with friends uh, and new relationships in a digital age are things accelerated or are they more complicated um, and what about the concept of uh, ghosting or uh, gaslighting and how are, how are those more prevalent terms now than they might have been in the past hmm. well I, I think something that um, like we need to address right out of the gate is that like just 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 like um, pretty much everything that we're going to end up talking about on this podcast, it, it is a, uh, it's a two-sided, um, it's a two-sided equation. There's going to be bits of both, uh, bits of, I guess, both perspectives that hold true. Like, with what we just talked about, yes, there are a lot of things about being in the digital age right now that make maintaining and forming new relationships, um, a lot easier than it was previously. But there are also um, limitations and new drawbacks to the digital age that make uh, maintaining and creating those same relationships much harder. And that's something that needs to be kept in mind is that um, there really is no de definitive answer to this question because really it's both. It's always going to be a mixed bag. And uh, that, 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 is a, uh, that is a frame of mind that any discussion surrounding technology in the uh, digital age um, needs to be viewed through to really get <clears throat> get down to like the meat of what it means to answer those questions. Of course, and I think that <clears throat> that question can't be answered in you know a finite 
answer. I think that it is based off of a lot of different categories and a lot of different interests. You know, you hear about benefits of the internet and the negatives of the internet, and then you have all these subgroups that come out of that. Like, mm-hmm. of course, people will say that the dating game has been upgraded due to technology. It's so much easier to find people, to meet people, to get first impressions of them. It's safer. A bunch of other reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have people that say, well, social media kind of trains us to compare ourselves to others constantly, which can lead to lower self esteem, mm-hmm. uh, cyberbullying, etc. Uh, and then, of course, music you know think of how much music we've discovered thanks to the internet that we never would have (laughs) had we not had access to it like stuff that you're not going to find in your cd stores or your walmarts or anything like that like think of all those small artists that are just starting up that have came from technology and people sharing things um it's not a singular answer and you're right it's it's definitely a mixed bag for both but i think that an interesting thing for the dating game is how we meet and what we focus on. Our expectations for people has also changed as a generation and as individuals. You know, our generation is a very uh, instant gratification based generation, and I think that you know when we uh, send people a message nowadays, we expect an instant answer. We expect you know to be a priority. Um, and you know what does that look like in terms of our parents or our grandparents generation like you know even in the days that they would send letters back and forth like how even has our patience as a a population changed and has that benefited us or has that held us back i mean like you said uh as the ease of communication has grown like as it's grown easier to communicate uh over long distances i i think it's it was only natural <clears throat> excuse me for our i guess patience level with those interactions to go down because we become used to an immediate answer i mean there's a reason it's called instant messaging really <laughs> and and i think that 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 holds a lot of truth in like how we process the act of communication over these um, technological processes, over these apps, over these services, kind of lives, at least from my point of view, the way that you view someone that you're talking with over the internet is a little different than the way that you view yourself talking with someone that you see in person. Because it's very easy with, you know, the instantaneous nature of messaging over the internet and messaging over text, over Snapchat. It's it's very easy to kind of forget that they are doing, they are messaging you, they are interacting with you, most likely while they are doing something else. It's, it's very easy to forget that people that we mostly interact with over the internet and over uh, messaging services it's very easy to forget that they have lives and responsibilities outside of messaging with us, which is very important when we talk about um, expecting to be a priority and expecting that instant message. Because if all that you experience with that person is this back and forth over text that for the most part is instantaneous, when that um, 
when that volley is no longer there, it's very, very jarring for most people. It's extremely jarring. Because you're going from, you know, perceiving this person constantly to having zero perception of them at all. Zero interaction. It's not like you're just sitting in a room alone with them and you've just stopped talking. Because they're still there. A person that you text kind of disappears when they stop texting you, if that makes sense. Like, inside your mind. And I think that's changed the way that we communicate with people. And it's changed, I guess, several different communication issues. Like, issues that come with communication. Because, like you said, now we have this concept of ghosting. Which, you know, was a little harder to do when all interaction or most interaction was either in person or over the phone. And even, like, even over the phone is a bit of a stretch because, like, yeah, you're still talking to the other person. You can hear them. You can interpret some of their body language through the way that they are talking and the words that they are choosing and what they are and aren't emphasizing in their sentences. But you're still not, like, physically interacting with them. Now we're in this position where a lot of our interactions with people in our day-to-day lives are entirely through little blurbs of text on a screen. Like, how many people, and how many people do you think you text a day? I mean, probably five or six, I'd say. How uh, many? I mean, on average, I guess. How many people do you have, like, an in-person conversation with a day? Bef- uh, before COVID. If I go outside. Before, <laughs> co- before COVID. That's, that's a very uh, important, because... COVID created a whole nother set of complications that we'll talk about in a second. But before COVID, how many people do you think you talk to in person every day? 10, 15, Mm -hmm. you know, at at minimum, if I go outside. I mean, everybody was outside. And your expectations for those conversations over text and those conversations in person were very, very different, I would imagine, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely like when you're talking to someone... Of course, like they, you know, they don't have any other distractions, so they're talking right back to you. Whereas over text, sometimes we have to kind of think for ourselves, like, oh, they're busy, so it's cool, whatever. Uh, And then we just kind of go on with our lives like that. And I think that, of course, we still see texting as, oh, I can get an answer pretty quick from from this person. But um, realistically, I think that our generation has also learned that. You can send a text if something isn't that important or isn't time sensitive, uh, but something that is, I mean, obviously call. I think that we've learned that much, mm-hmm. uh, but still I think our communication uh, is very faltered still. And I think, like, especially with younger people, it's definitely this, m- I feel like it's this mindset of, like, well, it's very easy and not very time-consuming for me to send you a text, so why aren't you immediately sending one back? Right. Because like I said, they only, in that interaction, kind of exist within that moment. It's it's not the same as talking to someone in person. So I think there are definitely advantages to, um, no, technological, like technological roots of communication. Definitely. That's That's undeniable. I mean, the fact that if I, if I had the contacts, and if I was, a, if I was willing to, because really I don't want to. Why the fuck would I want to do this? I sure. could start a conversation with someone across the ocean. 
just I could just fucking do that. Yeah. There would be there would still be the language barrier, but even then we have the means to translate hundreds of languages easily over the internet. So if I wanted to, I could start a conversation with someone an ocean away from me. That was almost unthinkable 20 years ago. Yeah. Like and like even even thinking about like while we were in school, we still had a pen pal system. Oh yeah. That's dead and gone now. That's <laughs> Like Precisely. I mean, I still remember having a pen pal. <laughs> That's and there are an entire like half generation of people who are never going to experience that because it's not necessary anymore. Right. You don't need to send out a letter to no one in particular and get an answer back to meet someone new that you have never met before. Right. And that's amazing. But at the same time, I feel like it can be a little bit of a detraction to relationships that we've already built. Because then we have that dichotomy of how we expect to be treated in person and how we expect to be treated over those messaging apps and over those messaging services. Of course. And I f like, especially personally, I find that very hard to balance. I'm someone who relies a lot on body language to kind of read a conversation. I have a hard time with uh, taking things at face value. So I use a lot of body language during my conversations to try to decide how the other person's feeling and then decide how, like what is appropriate to respond with. Which is why I struggle so much over text and over phone calls because I no longer have that tool. Sure. I honestly, a lot of the times feel very, very lost when I'm just texting someone or when I'm talking to someone on the phone because I don't feel I feel like I've had one of my uh, it's not even a feeling I've had one of my senses taken away yeah. for the duration of that conversation and I'm no longer able to use that tool to decide how to proceed within that conversation which you know that's all well and good uh, when we were in the before times then COVID came around and I spent, oh, from March to August, how many months is that? That's three to five, three to five, three to nine. So almost half a three year. Three to eight. September is nine. Whoops, I can't do math good. Um, so I spent f almost five straight months. I, I did not leave my house after coming back from Ball State in mid-March until quite literally mid-July. Wow. I was in perfect isolation until July. That was four straight months of just me and my family alone in a house. I had no contact with, like, I had no physical contact. I had no visual contact with pretty much anyone aside from my family for four months. And I was high-key struggling to maintain my relationships in that moment because I had been thrown from a position where I was constantly in person interacting with people. I'm a fucking theater major. We don't know how to leave people alone. That's one of our defining traits. We are constantly in a big clump of people conversating and eating food. That is what, that is what it's like to be a theater student. And 
I went from having that and like this was this was the the, the biggest thing that made this transition awful was that the last night before I came home, the last night I spent at Ball State University, we recorded Richard the Third. We recorded the play that we had been working on for almost two months. And then had a big party that lasted until 4 a.m. with the entire cast. I went from, like, near overstimulation levels of being around people to nothing for four months. Yeah. And adapting to that, like, at the drop of the hat, adapting to that from nothing is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Simply because the it was like all of the developments and all of the societal changes that we have made around communicating in the digital age happened over the span of like six hours that's basically what it came down to i yeah. went from prioritizing in-person communication to only using online communication and i'm not the only person that had to deal with this i'm that would be naive of me to claim um but I guess it really highlighted a lot of what struggles can arise with changing communication mediums. Just how how difficult it is to adapt. Yeah. Because, like, on the surface it looks fine because you're still having a conversation with a person or several people because group chats exist. And... Yeah, that looks fine on the surface, but when you get down to it, you have to change your entire perception of what it means to read a conversation and what it means to interpret somebody else's meaning. And then formulate your ideas and your tactics so that they can easily discern what you mean and interpret your actions and your thoughts. And it's just... It's insane when you think about it. Yeah. It gets completely insane. And you don't have the time buffer of sending a letter anymore. That's the other thing. The Postal Service takes for fucking ever. Well, yeah, now they do, and especially since being defunded even more. I mean, that's. Oh, my down. God. Let's. That's. That's a topic for another day, but you're 100% correct. <laughs> the Postal Service is slow. But honestly, I feel like the speed with which the communication happens over text, the fact that it goes as fast as a conversation, leaves more room for error and misinterpretation. Sure. Because not only are you speaking to each other with the speed of a normal, everyday conversation, like an in-person conversation, you, like I touched on, do not have the benefit, in most cases, of reading body language. Like, even snapping back and forth on Snapchat, like, with the little picture in the message blurb, that's a fucking selfie. Yeah. You can't, you can't read body language from that for shit. You're trying to make yourself look pretty so that the other person doesn't forget what your face looks like. You're not focusing on letting your emotions be read by the other person. True. So, it's the speed and, um... Ex it's the speed expectations of a normal conversation without the body language tool. Sure. And that leads, at least in my case, to a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety surrounding having those conversations. Sure, misunderstandings I, too. 
I never feel like I'm confident in my interpretation of another person over text. Sure. And that's terrifying for me, because I am deathly afraid of hurting other people's feelings. It makes me feel like a complete piece of shit when it happens. And I feel like I do it so much more often over text and over phone calls simply because I don't feel like I'm reading the room correctly. Sure. 100%. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, Definitely, like you said, with the Snapchat thing, we have, like, this uh, image in in our minds, you know, that that isn't really us that we may put out there, that we may send, and messages that... Of course, people are going to read what we said and probably click through it and never think about it again. But to us and to them, without them knowing it, it is a subconscious thought uh, to keep reinforcing the belief that this person is attractive, this person is this trait because this, this, and this. And I know that because they send me pretty pictures every time their message comes through, so that's how I know. And that's but, yeah, it's dangerous. And that's not to say that those aren't true, but I sure. think it's very important to touch on the fact that uh, being on the internet allows you to, I guess, kind of pick and choose what parts of you are more accentuated, intentionally sure. or not. Like I know personally, with my with my many many online accounts. I have way too many. It's kind of insane. I don't really like it a lot of the time, but oh well. Um, Each one of them is tailored to a different part of me. And pretty much only showcases that part of me. Um, My personal account, so like my Facebook account, my... Even my Snap, I guess. My main Instagram account. That's, like, where I do all my professional stuff. That's where I showcase my theater work. That's where I showcase my directing work whenever I get get around to finishing up working on something uh, that I'm directing. It's where I showcase my personal life, like, all the stuff that I do with my family, the stuff that I do with my girlfriend, the stuff that I do with my friends at college. Um, it's, it's like, a very, I guess, in from my point of view, it's a very genuine look at who I am and what I do. Now, on the flip side of that, stuff like my Twitter and my spam Instagram account um, are just places for me to, I guess, kind of let go of feeling anxious about what I have to say and even more so anxious about, you know, whether or not my sense of humor will be accepted by the people that are experiencing it. Because that's something that you've got to be concerned about with comedy, because comedy like so many other art forms is completely subjective and while it is just as insane to try to tailor your comedy to the entirety of your audience it's insane to try to i guess predict how your audience will react to something and the 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 base level anonymity of the internet kind of gives me a safe space to feel like okay this could be just viewed as like a different version of me like it's not actually me all of the time it's just a slightly goofier sometimes slightly more depressed version of me (laughs) right right it's just making jokes jokes and gaffes jokes and gaffes for no reason other than i feel like it and everybody does this and it's amazing the fact that the internet is such an accessible creative outlet for 
anyone who is able to access it, I cannot overstate how important that is. But at the same time, I can very easily see how it can become confusing sure. to look at the many faces of somebody on the internet and try to decide from never meeting them in person who they are. And like again, I have personal I have a personal experience with this. Um I pretty much held a relationship with a friend entirely online for like 3 years. And um like we knew each other in person, but it was mostly just in a professional setting. Like pretty much the only times that we interacted in person were during vocal performances and during a couple of shows that we worked on together. And we finally got around to hanging out in person because we both had insanely busy schedules. And at the end of at the end of it, I left, we started texting again, and she pretty much told me that she was kind of scared that I guess some of the weirder parts of me that exist on the internet, like some of the anxiety that I have about the way that I communicate was going to translate in person, but that I was really an entirely different person and an entirely different, like, conversation experience in person, which I'm entirely thankful for. I don't like the way that I talk to people over text, but I can see how that can work the other way as well, and that's, that's scary. It's scary that someone can be one way on the internet, but if you meet them in person and talk to them in person, they present completely differently, because that's unpredictable. And I feel like that's something that's a little lost, that, that you lose when you don't form a relationship in person. Sure. Definitely. Uh, so I... I think that I've had, uh, I mean, a few people that I've met online or met places and been able to keep up a relationship with, uh, but, you know, there's just been a lot of people, like people I met during the welcome week uh, for college and things like that. People are like, oh, yeah, like, we'll have to hang out during, you know, the year or whatever. Never hung out with them. Never talked to them again. Yeah, uh, and of course that's my fault. Also theirs, but it's fine. <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think that our short interactions. Um, I feel like unless you <clears throat> connect with somebody that deeply on a level when you're in a physical setting or even a digital setting, uh, that y you really have to keep those um, relationships up. It's okay to let things go, um, you know, and come back to it later maybe. Uh, but I feel like living in the moment also means letting go of people who aren't contributing to your growth. And obviously, if you're not talking to those people or something, like, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely like, do it. Uh, but I also think that with not seeing them in person, those relationships never had an opportunity to get stronger, uh, which is something that I and myself and other people miss out on is since, yeah, we're not together in a physical environment. I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to be reminded. It's not going to be as easy as it would be. You know, of course, texting is easy, but, you know, how do you start a random conversation like that over seeing them in a hallway and be like, yeah. hey, how are you, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and it's funny that you bring up college because I feel like 
and I, I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but um, adapting to basically figuring out how to talk to people, like new people over again, was very, very difficult for me to figure out. And there was a point where I just didn't figure it out. I didn't put effort into figuring it out. And unfortunately, that became the entirety of my freshman year. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I pretty... Okay. Um, so, uh, at the at the end of our senior year of high school, Corbin and I's senior year of high school, uh, my friend circle had become noticeably smaller than it had ever been. Um, due to just a lot of drama and shit that really isn't important enough to take up time on this podcast, if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but I went into college, um, kind of with minimal connections back home. Uh, of course I had made some connections through shows that I had done in, over the summer, but those connections were, like, kind of superficial, if that makes sense. Like, they were made over the span of two months, and then just kind of petered out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um... Pretty much uh, the entirety of my freshman year, I didn't really talk to people, like, outside of classroom settings and show settings. Um, it really took until uh, my first um, my first show of college, uh, Phantom Reimagined with Fistseller Productions, that I actually, like, felt like I had found, like, some semblance of a friend group. Like... I actually felt like a deeper connection with people, which, yeah. you know, was something that I was used to being a theater artist, just constantly being thrown into these situations with brand new people and then just like getting really comfortable with them and then never seeing them again. The difference was I saw these people constantly afterwards. Like we were, we were up each other's asses for the entire rest of the year. And a lot of us are still like tighten it together you can't see but i'm like interlocking my fingers very quickly <laughs> oh, in front yes, of the microphone you. i forgot i wasn't being videotaped wow. so that um... that's disgusting never do that again please <laughs> yay we've hit the never do that again for this episode that's, that's good. right uh... <laughs> that's the one <laughs> either way um freshman year was like and even after phantom reimagined um those were pretty much the only people that I interacted with, like, outside of classes. Like, I interacted with my girlfriend and a few of her friends, my then-girlfriend and a few of her friends, and I interacted with everyone from Phantom. But that was it. Like, I hardly left my my dorm room for anything other than classes, eating, and going to hang out with them. I barely made any friends in my dorm. I can really think of, like, two or three people that I still talk to, from my old dorm, and it makes me pretty. It makes me kind of sad that I didn't really get out and uh, interact with yeah. uh, the people that I was living with. Like I, I, still regret that. And just looking at the difference between that and this year, because um, I, I moved dorms. I moved into the theater dorm for this year, and about um, like three weeks in, I. No, it was longer than that. Like, almost a month and a half in, I kind of sat down with myself and I was like, okay, we're doing the exact same thing that you did last year, where you just, like, became a recluse and, like, nobody knew your name. So, like, get your shit together, basically. that I, I, had, to get to, I had to get your shit together conversation with myself. And 
now I am like a big part of this really close knit community. And all of this was done in person. And I and I I finally ended up drawing the drawing a connection between the fact that I pretty much closed myself off to talking to people over text and over Snapchat for the entirety of my freshman year and just never interacting with people in person to primarily interacting with people in person my sophomore year. And I don't think that's a commentary on, you know, which mode is better. I think it's definitely a commentary of... Not a commentary of, but I think it's definitely a big piece of evidence for the fact that you need to figure out, like, what balance of each works for you. Sure. Because, sure. like we discussed, there's not going to be a definitive answer. This is too broad a subject for a definitive answer. It's, it's figuring out how much in-person interaction and how much online interaction it takes for you to have healthy relationships and be healthy for yourself. Because I know that there are a lot of people that I know who are extremely uncomfortable in in-person social situations. They don't necessarily know how to function in person, but being behind that buffer of the internet brings a whole different level of comfort and they're actually able to bloom socially under that, I guess, security blanket that is the internet. So, I guess the the big moral that I'm trying to get to here is that you can't really qualify. Like, you can't really... F there's no real quality analysis that can be made. There's no overarching this or that answer for this. Because... It comes because it comes down to the fact that both the this and the that are extremely diverse and the people that are interacting with them are just as diverse if not more so I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there's really no way to answer this question without saying you need to try it yourself sure that was a very long-winded way of getting to that answer I apologize all of that's that the for answer you to say you do it figure it out it you tell come back to me come back to me in a month <laughs> no definitely uh i just think that uh with technology a lot of the older generation thinks of course like yeah you guys have it easy you know this and that okay and hang you guys on don't <laughs> struggle like i did i had let's, to walk you know you let's here. i walked 40 here. miles to school we gotta talk about that statement real quick, because this is something that's bugged me for a while. Just the whole argument of like, oh, you guys have it easy. The younger generation have it easy. The younger generation aren't struggling. Isn't that the fucking point? Yeah. Isn't the point to make things easier for the young? Isn't the point of all of this advancement, all of the advancement that you're complaining about, to make things easier for us so that we don't have to struggle the way that you did? Yes, you're right. Argument. We don't understand the struggle because we you because you have set a base work. You have set up a foundation underneath us that makes us so that we don't ever have to experience that struggle. And then you're yeah. getting pissed at us for reaping the benefits of the foundation that you put in place for us. Right. Yes, we go overboard sometimes. Sometimes we act like entitled little shits. But That's the root true. the root problem 
isn't that we have these advancements. The root problem isn't that we're not suffering. It's just that we're not grateful for it all the time. But that's a completely different argument. It's not saying that we're not struggling. I think it's, I think part of it is that we're not giving credit where credit is due. Sure. Because like we're talking about, a lot of people in our generation see it as an instant gratification. We get what we want and we get it now because that's the way it should be. Not because that's the way it was set up for us by people who had to work a lot harder than us. Yeah, definitely. No, I get that. And it is, it is of course, like, yeah. Thank you for making this like easier, but we also have a lot of other different struggles that you never had to deal with. You know, talking about social media and technology and, oh my and God. all that. There but. was a study that was done by some school. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Yale. There was a psychology study done on college students where they they did a bunch of stress tests. And the average stress level of a college student in today's environment matched the average stress level of people who were in actual mental facilities in the 30s. And that's the norm. That is the average. Which means that there are both skews high and low from that number. And a lot of that has to do with, like we talked about in the first episode, the sheer ease of getting information. The amount of mental stimulation that the average person in our day and age gets would probably give someone a hundred years ago a fucking stroke. Yeah, definitely. But that also goes along with as times have changed and we've learned and evolved to deal with different kinds of stress. I mean, of course, I think that the stresses are different. But I think that we've also learned to adapt to them better. We have a lot more sources of realization and pleasure at our fingertips than we ever did before. You know, we know that meditating is good, and uh, we know that we know that we have uh, antidepressants and things like that to calm mm. us down. And of course, drugs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, some people. We've always drugs. had those. What are you talking about? Uh, true. Do you not know about the fact that Great Britain is technically the most successful cartel in the history of the oh world? Oh my god, no, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, the, that simply because of the, op- the entire thing that happened between Britain, China, and opium. Ah, classic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> classic. Oh, classic Britain, getting other countries addicted to drugs so that oh, they'll buy geez. their wares and trade with them. Oh, what will they think of next? Silly wankers. A new way to make tea even less like tea, perhaps? Yes. More opium, less tea. More opium, less tea. Put opium in the tea. Make the tea now opium. Now you're cooking with opium. All Drink right. it like syrup. Ew. I don't think that's how opium works. Opium syrup. I don't think opium is a syrup. Yes, is it, it a is, syrup? bro. The poppy is plant it? excretes that white goo. Yeah, that's it, bro. I thought that was how P.O. worked, not opium. Well, honestly, it stuff, might be man. both. I don't fucking know. Well, I feel like the smarter man. Congratulations. Yep, I don't get it often, so I'm gonna enjoy it. <laughs> Okay, so as as you were saying with like, oh, they're not suffering as much as we did. We had to walk. Well, where were you going with that? Well, I'm thinking that, yeah, of course, they, they didn't struggle as much as us. 
uh, and our stresses have changed we've learned to adapt to them better uh, but I do think that as times have changed we've developed uh, different ways to adapt different things to help relax us that the people a uh, hundred years ago didn't have or didn't know about or didn't have access to um, so I think that as technology has advanced and made us more stressed I think that it's also created different sources of realization and pleasure and all those different things that help us kind of calm down mm-hmm. yeah yeah 100% because like again it's a wide spectrum of things stressors and relievers both come very easily with the internet but it's still a fact that the stressors are uh, there's so many there's so many bad things that are at our fingertips oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it's 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 again the generation gap is going to exist as long as human beings exist it's just something that's going to be ha- that's it's just something that we're going to have to adapt to as we go. And I think as of late, we've doing, been doing a bit of a piss-poor job of adapting to it. I think what is mostly to blame here is the sheer speed that our technology advanced. It was like, it wasn't... It was... It, okay, so it was technically gradual. It was over the span of a, cu- of a couple years. A good several years. But several years is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Several years is nothing, even just looking at the lifespan of the United States of America, several years is nothing. We've been around for over 200 years. The, I'm I'm gonna try to be generous here, the 15 years that was the big technology boom, it's fucking nothing. That's almost no time. Just looking at the grand scheme of things. So really, there was... And that's less than a generation. That's less than a generation. There was not time for them to grow up and have children before everything accelerated at the fucking speed of light. So of course they're a little con- they're they're a little knocked off their asses. They didn't have time to adapt to it like the previous generations were able to with the technological technical blah blah blah, blah with the technological <laughs> advances of their time. <laughs> that word got lost in there somewhere. Outstanding. <laughs> Thank you. That was incredible. <laughs> Sound like I was gargling with marbles for a second. Oh, that, that was, was fun. <laughs> 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 my point still stands. There was almost no buffer. There was no readiness at all. They were not ready for things to change that quickly, so no wonder they're a little pissed off. Sure. So like, I can see where they're coming from, being a little like, oh, well, this is bad. I can understand definitely. that. I can, I'm, I'm, I can look at it from a point of understanding. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's important. That's an important distinction with it, kind of how we're going about it versus how other people might go about it, where it's an argumentative thing. And it's really not. That's not what we're trying to make it. We're just kind of trying to look at it from our perspective into, like, what do we see has changed uh, in our environments that we grew up in uh, compared to now? And that can be different for everybody. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, of course it's going to be different from everybody. Corbin and I had our very own, like, individual... What word was I going to say? Had our own development. That's what it was. We had our own um, developmental process, and even though we lived in the same town, had generally kind of the same upbringing, we still had an individual experience of growing up in this town. Sure. 
And that's just talking about in this town. Again, this town is nothing on the grand scheme of things. It's very tiny. We live in a very small town. We grew up in a very small town. Our town is like a little, little pinprick on the map. I don't even think our town is named on any national maps. Oh, it probably is, definitely. Is it? I, I yeah, think okay. Lawrenceburg is named more often no. than Aurora. Oh, uh, well, yeah, it's a little I th- bit bigger I, city, I think it's, it's going right to be... I would assume Lawrenceburg would be named before Aurora, but what do I know? Either way, our town is tiny, so our experience is very, very individual. Now, even just expanding well, it's out to... the only tiny thing that has come from the town, either. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what you were trying to get me to get out of that. <laughs> what does that mean? The penis. Sorry, I'll, I'll shut up again. <laughs> this is the vaguest dick joke of all time. Right? I haven't a clue who or right? what you're talking about. Right. Oh my god. Uh, Resume. I don't think I can. You can't just do that to someone <laughs> and be like, carry on. Carry on, please. Persevere. Um, but yeah, Gorbin and I's experience is going to vary wildly from some other pair of numbskulls that grew up somewhere else in Indiana, let alone the United States. And that's not even to talk about internationally, because that's starting to become so big that it doesn't really apply to this conversation, because because technology advances at different rates across different continents and across different countries, so we're not going to talk about that. Just talking in the United States... the, The sheer number of starting points and the way that that starting point allows you to develop you can't make these generalizations you can't make a generalization of everything being good about something and everything being bad about the same thing definitely generalizations are what kill understanding is the second that you use an all-encompassing term not an all-encompassing term an all-encompassing statement You've completely killed any theoretical chance of outliers or of diversification. And diversity is going to happen no matter what. Like, that's not, that's not a question. Anything on as big of a scale as technology is going to be diverse. And there are going to be diverse results to any test that you throw at it as a result. So throwing generalizations towards stuff like technological advancement and childhood upbringings and how generations functioned across the years with their own technological advances is impossible because there's no way to look at every single experience and make a generalization based off those experiences. You get to a point where there are so many experiences that it's not even worth it to try because it's never going to take you anywhere. It's going to be an inconclusive result anyway. You know, like, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I just ran it for 20 minutes about generalizations. That was fun. I'll be honest with you, while you did that, I started playing Skyrim again. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm done now. You told me. (laughs) (laughs) 
You told me. I know it is, but you told me. It was glaring at me, bro. Why didn't you turn it off before we started? You told me you did. It would have saddened me too much. Oh my god. Anyway, okay, so... Ugh. That's a nice little way to move into this aspect of technology that a lot of people like to complain about. The fact that technology is seen as a distraction. Now, as we've just experienced, technology is very good at distracting people from the task at hand. <laughs> but... <laughs> Bro. <laughs> I couldn't help it. But at the same time, like we were talking about earlier with stressors, sometimes we need those distractions to maintain a healthy relationship with ourselves and others. And we're getting into this really, we're getting into this neighborhood again where it's a double-edged sword because this benefit can also be a downside. Oh, because like we were talking about um, earlier and in the last episode with the sheer amount of stress relievers and things that relax us available on the internet games videos music all of that is there just to help us relieve our stress and to entertain us and to make us feel better when shit looks bad and to make us feel like there's a little bright pocket of the world somewhere that everything is better in but at the same time that shit can get addicting Having that constant stress relief there is addicting. There's a reason video game addiction is an actual disorder now. Like, it's actually considered a full-fledged addiction just as much as a drug or substance addiction. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and I think that people cling to, uh, I mean, just like with anything, really, uh, people cling to the dopamine, the serotonin, all the happy chemicals that come with things that make us feel good it, people get addicted to that and they associate that activity that uh, that event as the only source of that and they cling to that uh, which is dangerous you know of course you shouldn't engage in things that uh, you have a tendency to, to fall into bad habits with when you're emotionally you know not doing so well um, that should be common sense nowadays, you know, because so many people cling to substances, cling to things that distract them from life. And it's understandable. The life that we live today is not easy. That's not one that we ever imagined being possible, but here we are. God, who wouldn't want to be? And all we can do is, uh, you know, accept it for what it is. Change what we can change. And control what we can control and keep moving forward. And honestly, like, as well as, and again, we're talking about a double-edged sword. Just like the internet can dis- can um, like st- stimulate our senses and get stimulate us think. Your senses. I knew you were gonna do that. As <laughs> soon as I said it, I regretted it because I knew it was coming. Anyway, um, <laughs> just Bro, just gum just like peeked its head around the corner. It was like, hello. <laughs> but yeah, just as much as the internet can provide a distraction, and provide um, an outlet, and provide a way for us to get some sort of like sensory or mental stimulation happening, 
it also has a habit of desensitizing us to a lot of things. Um, I mean, just look at the existence of Live Leak. Sure. I, I don't understand the appeal of that. I really don't. But it's for, for those of you that don't know, Live Leak is um, it's a it's an internet it's a website on on the main on the main internet um, that pretty much just um, houses uh, graphic and disturbing videos. Um, we're talking stuff like a lot of it is people dying. If I'm being perfectly honest, people being mutilated, people dying, animals dying, and Things it's readily yeah, absolutely, it's readily available for people to watch on the main internet. And I knew a lot of people in middle school and high school who found it very cool to watch those things. And as a result, you kind of stop thinking about them in, I guess, a graphic and serious light. Yeah, in you a see sick, it. twisted way, you kind of see it as entertainment yeah, at some point. That's why it's there. it is there for entertainment, which is fucked in its own right. But it's also... It also makes it glaringly obvious that the internet has a way of kind of letting us look at things that are happening and not really see it as real. Well, the internet like, also feels... isn't taking responsibility for mm-hmm. teaching us those things. Like, it would be if another person told us something. But it, the internet isn't taking responsibility for inter- any of that. It simply stands as a medium between people who share information and us who absorb it. Yeah. So, uh, by all of the internet's guidelines and rules, it is saying, yep, you chose to learn this information. You chose to have these negative effects. And so, of course, the internet isn't going to be held accountable. These types of issues, the way that kids are being brought up, the things that they're seeing, it's going to get worse. And we have to be careful. You're right. And and along those lines of what you're talking about, where the internet doesn't really take responsibility for it, and it doesn't really... there, It's a barrier. It kind of starts falling into the same trap of, like, where we don't really perceive... Um, Mm, excuse me, voice crack. We don't really perceive the people that we are texting as, like, I guess as tangible as people that we talk to in person. It's the same thing with sites like this. There's kind, Your brain kind of doesn't really see it as something that that is tangible, something that could happen in person, that is Definitely. actively happening in person. I guarantee that you would react differently to a video on live leak of someone falling off a building than to someone falling off a building in front of you. And that's the, what people, things that happen to them that are surreal, and they're like, oh, it didn't even feel real. Like, yeah. oh, it just felt like a movie. Of course. That's because that's the only exposure you've ever had to it. Yeah. Guarantee you throw someone who didn't have, uh, didn't have access to that stuff access to photos and footage of this happening because it's not only on Lively. Think about news programs. The the yeah. big thing that springs to mind for me is 9-11. Think about the news coverage for 9-11. We have that. That is readily available. That is something that we were shown in schools. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. That's not for me to touch on. I can't fucking decide that. But it's a fact that we were shown that. We have seen that. That was readily available for us to see. 
so that when we see it again, that is what we think of. We immediately hearken back to the fact that we saw it in a completely different setting. We saw it through a screen. Go back 50 years? That didn't exist. You didn't have that. Because, you know, not even to talk about the film industry and how the, that stuff like that really wasn't feasible. Go back 50, 75 years. If somebody fell off a building or if a building blew up, the people that witnessed it, that would be the first time they had ever seen it. So their reaction to it would have been so different. Definitely. Of course. And I think that, it, like you said, it can desensitize us to the horror of reality. And I think that's, that's a little dangerous. And even... Oh, I hate talking about this, but looking at all of the the trends on the internet of games and um, games and like copy pastas that encourage like violence and self harm, like talking about the the the, the blue whale challenge and that that whole uh, knockout game that went around the internet when we were in middle school. Yeah. Like where you literally suffocate someone so and then get a high off of it because your brain gets flooded with oxygen. Shit like that. It's packaged in a way that doesn't seem dangerous to people who haven't experienced the entirety of life before. People who don't really process their mortality. That's basically what it comes down to. People who don't really think about the fact that, oh, this is actively dangerous like this is actively could hurt me really really badly definitely it's another completely different version of desensitization and it's honestly a little worse if i if i if you think about it mostly because it's specifically children who are being des desensitized to it I mean, think of how old we were when that that knockout game came out. The it, if anyone doesn't know what what we're talking about here, I I'm talking about um, the the trend that went around the early internet where you and a bunch of friends get together, you cross your arms against the wall and they push on your chest as hard as as hard as they can until you pass out. That that is that is what I'm talking about right now. That was that went around like wildfire when Corbin and I were in middle school. Yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> It was so stupid. It was dangerous. You and remember when people we... used to tabletop other kids? How dangerous that was? I don't even know what you're talking about, Bro, honestly. Oh, I got... Well, this may have been just because I was... I don't know. Well, care I'm to explain the trend real quick? I'm not I, sure. I thought I was, but basically the premise was that a couple friends were in on it, right? Like yeah. One got... On his hands and knees, on all fours, right behind you, directly behind you, to where you couldn't see. Oh, I know what you're happening. talking about. Yeah. Two friends came in front of you and distracted you, or said something that made made you, you know, focus on them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, one of them would push you backwards. You would try to catch yourself, and in doing so, you would fall over the person on all fours behind you. Yeah. Which a lot of times would end up with you on your back, on your neck, falling on your head. Uh, different things, losing your breath, uh, and being really embarrassed. Uh, yeah. 
which I mean I guess to some people like that was funny to me it was always like it just made me so mad yeah and embarrassed like why I get the appeal like haha you you like made your friends laugh but yeah like is it worth it like I feel like shit and like I I'm embarrassed like I don't even want to be here yeah. anymore so I, I don't know and kids get this idea that sometimes doing things or uh, you know really accentuating other people's differences it can lift them up because that's what they're told to do online I don't think that bullying has ever stopped gotten better uh, it's just changed like form that. it's just changed right and like what you were talking about with like feeling like shit for other people's entertainment I think that's a that's another form of desensitization becoming desensitized instead of to someone's physical pain or someone's physical anguish to their emotional anguish so like we said it doesn't feel real when you do when you see it over the internet it doesn't really feel like the same reality as in person you right. can say i'm not saying that you should but you can say a lot of shit over the internet course a lot of and even more really dark web. oh we're not gonna touch that but <laughs> you can say a lot of fucked up shit over the internet to little or no repercussion to little little or no repercussions and even then you can find communities of people who say the same fucked up shit as you right you can find community with that and again we're talking about double-edged sword because the internet brings people together constantly but just as much as it brings people with good intentions together, it also brings people with really, really bad intentions together and puts them in a position where they're all together with the same idea. And it gives them a feeling of power. It gives them a feeling of belonging. It gives them a feeling of rightness. Just yeah. as much as it gives you a feeling of rightness if you're a part of an online book club, an online hate group feels that exact same feeling. Of course. The feeling of community, like you said, and feeling like you're part of something, of course. like I feel like within each and every one of us, we want to be part of something, whether it's mm -hmm. something positive, something negative, something very outspoken, or if you know we decide that we are very antisocial, we are very shut in, there's a group of people that are just like that, I promise you. And you guys don't have to say a word, but I can promise that feeling like you're part of that community or that subgroup in a way, deep down, it probably feels comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, and I can safely say that, you know, uh, regardless of what you think of yourself, how other people view you, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, finding a form of community, physical or digital, mm -hmm. makes us feel human. Community, community is a necessary part of the human experience. It's... 100% necessary to a healthy outlook of your of yourself, a healthy outlook on life, a healthy outlook on whatever job you have handed to you. It's necessary. You have to have someone to come home to. And for that, I'm very thankful for the internet because it makes it so easy for people who can't find their communities at their home base, like where they call home temporarily or permanently, to find communities in this big sprawling expanse that that is the internet but at the same time there needs to be a level 
a level of monitoring, which there is in a lot of cases, but there are a lot of blind spots when it comes to monitoring the internet for communities of people that have ill intentions. Sure. And they, they deserve to have a community as much as the next person, but... Keep, not if not if n- not if their community will damage someone else. Sure, they don't cause harm to themselves. Or your others. your 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 views and your wants. You can expect people to respect them as long as they do not disrespect the existence of another human being or another group of human beings. Of course. As soon as you cross that line, you cannot expect respect from everyone. For your views exactly. you can't and expecting people who you actively disrespect with the views that you hold to respect you as a human being that's almost laughable you cannot expect that from someone that you actively disrespect with the way that you think and act you yeah. can't that's not feasible and it's not really to a point it's not moral you can't expect someone to turn a blind eye to you actively hating them for their existence and respect you as a human being. You can't have both. Yeah. You really can't. This is one of those things where, like, we've been talking this entire time about concepts and questions that do not have finite answers. This is one that is a finite answer. You cannot have both. You cannot be disrespectful towards another person or a group of people for the qualities of their existence and expect them to respect yours. You can't. Definitely. You can't have both. I think well, we've I, come... Yeah, hmm? no, I think that comes to a good point there. Um, that with digital technology, with... Uh, the increasing importance of it in our daily lives, we have to be careful too to not um, not base all of our moral values, put all of our trust into that technology. At some point, we have to come to terms with uh, accepting responsibility as who we are, as being us and being original, mm-hmm. um, and definitely keeping in mind uh, of our relationships and how we acquire those. Uh, and how we nurture those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Did you have any other notes or any other uh, recommendations? Um, I think like all I was thinking uh, for other things that we could talk about with this topic was just talking specifically about the dating scene. But I feel like that is a big enough conversation that it deserves its own episode to do it justice. Definitely. Really. No, I don't. I think I think we we came to a nice little full circle where we started with a question that begged a finite answer, but then we answered a different question with a finite answer. I, th- I think that was a nice way to. Sure. I think that was a that was a cool little unintentional way of tying this up in a nice little bow. That was definitely yeah definitely. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the first episode of the new season and the new year 2021 we will see how this goes we will see what it has in store for us and i can promise that uh you know sean and i are going to do everything that we can to make sure that we have a podcast episode out to you every week 
if something changes, we will definitely let you know. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Sean, do you have any other notes? No, just that uh, we're excited to move into this new year with you guys. Hopefully more of you hop in along the way. And uh, no matter what happens, Corbin and I are going to be here every single step of the way with you guys, giving you unnecessary and unwarranted opinions the entire time, because that's what we do. That's right. Why do people make podcasts if not for unwarranted, unasked-for opinions? Podcasts are just free therapy, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because here's how the statement. Here, let me explain. Let me explain. Hold up. So... When you start a podcast, right, you're like, oh, yeah, like, this will be fun. But it actually becomes this thing where you genuinely feel a sense of relief and, like, you have pressure off mm-hmm. of yourself when you speak into a mic and you publish it somewhere. Fingers crossed, at least one person is listening to you and that makes you feel important. I don't know. That's just me. Oh, my God. Uh, I may be <laughs> a little depraved. <laughs> But still, it feels wonderful to have listeners and people who, like, take time out of their day to be like, eh, yeah, I could listen to this guy's voice for an hour. Like, oh my gosh, like, that is incredible to That's me. That's insane. Especially since this concept started literally with Corbin and I talking in a car for half an hour at a time. That was literally what made us think about starting a podcast. It was just Definitely. us. It was an audience of two. That was it. And just the idea that somebody outside of that audience of two, and hopefully more somebody's outside of that audience of two, are sitting here listening to those conversations is, it's, it's otherworldly. And I'm so thankful for every single person who would take time out of their day, look at our logo that I threw together in half an hour, and say, huh, this is all right. Let's watch this. So I'm, yeah, I'm very yeah. thankful for each and every each and every person who stops by to give us a listen. Just thank you, thank you for uh, for putting up with our insane ramblings and our severe stutters along Definitely. the way. And I I can promise you that as we go forward, as we gain more experience with this, we're gonna be better. We're gonna be funnier. We're gonna stay on track more. Uh, yeah, we're not professional <laughs> podcasters yet, but by golly, I hope we will be uh, oh, yeah. in the in the coming year. You know, that's what 2021 20, has in store for us both. We're going to become professional podcasters. Woo! And whether you love us or not, we're going to be out here and we're going to be talking at you. So thank you so much for listening again. We'll see you next week. Two bars, one from.